Brothers and sisters, we have an extraordinary God. And he offers extraordinary blessings and he still has great plans to do extraordinary things through me, through you, and through us. But please, please, please do not forget this one thing. In the days of Moses and the days of Jesus and our day today, ordinary is how God ordinarily works. We're kicking off a brand new series about the book of Exodus and the life of Moses. And uh, the big idea of the series is that God doesn't just work through the strong people, the impressive people, the amazing people. He works through ordinary people and average people and below average people and surprising people and really, really surprising people. God works through people like me and like you. So I want to kick off this message in the series with an honest confession. And the confession is that I often daydream about my own death. And it is extraordinary. <laughs> it normally happens here at church. Uh, I'm sitting down in the seats. Tons of people are worshiping God. And, and I notice someone who looks a little bit fidgety and he stands up and I notice he has a gun and he's pulling it out. But before he can get off a shot, I sprint and like the, the linebacker I never was, I form tackle him to the ground. I, I try to wrestle it out of his hand and I scream for help. But before you come and help me disarm him, he gets off a shot. And I put my hand to my stomach and I'm, I'm bleeding and it's bad. And I try to speak, but I can't get out the words. So I, I look at my fingers covered in blood and right on the ground, I start to write. I write the initials of my wife and my kids. The initials of some of my friends, especially those who don't believe the things I believe about Jesus. And next to each initials, in my own blood, I start to write quickly references to Bible passages that I've memorized over the years. My, my parting words to my bride, my daughters to trust in something bigger than a temporary man like their father. Pleading through those passages with my closest friends to, to give up anything that's so temporary and to hold on to Jesus so they can be with me and see his face forever. And, and once the last chapter and verse is written on the ground, I'm dead. Should I see a therapist? No. <laughs> <laughs> I heard a pastor once say, you can tell a lot about your heart by the stuff you dream about when, you, when your brain is not empty. I, I think I probably should, but, but actually there's a, there's a bigger problem to my daydream than just maybe the pride that comes behind it. The problem is that if I really want to give these three women in my life comfort and strength and hope, and if I really want to share my faith with my friends who maybe don't believe in Jesus just yet, it, if I'm waiting for some dramatic moment, some viral video, newspaper, if I'm waiting to do extraordinary things through some extraordinary circumstance, guess what? It's not going to happen. And maybe if I care about their faith and their hope, I shouldn't wait for some extraordinary thing. I should 
take advantage of the ordinary days that God gives me. And I wanna share that with you today because I, I think the enemy of Jesus, the devil, I think he kind of likes extraordinary Christianity. Like when you hear those amazing stories about amazing Christian people, the Mother Teresas of the world, to go around the world and give up every comfort to serve the poor and the sick and the orphan. When you have those friends who just, you know, somehow they can share their faith and get people to come to church in 30 seconds or less. When you meet these incredible saints of God who can pray for an, an hour straight, I mean, these are moving stories. We, we love them, we applaud, we cry, we like, we share. But, but the problem is, is if you think that's the only way that God works, or even the normal way that God works, guess what you're gonna do? Nothing. You're gonna sit and watch and wait and miss the fact that God wants to do great things through ordinary people. I guess I'm, I'm making an assumption about you that most of you and most of you are ordinary. We're ordinary people, but, but the great thing I want to tell you today, in fact, there's just one thing I want you to remember about this service uh, is this big idea I want to share with you on the screen. Here it is. That God uses the ordinary to do the extraordinary. If you're familiar with the Bible, you might know the name Moses. He was the, the famous prophet with the Ten Commandments. He met with God. And you can kind of get this like movie depiction of him that he was some extraordinary guy. But for the next few weeks, we're going to burst your bubble and say he wasn't. He was weak. He was whiny. He made excuses. He didn't want to do it. At one point in his mission and calling, he literally said to the face of God, just send someone else. <laughs> but God wanted to prove a point that when he wants to do something extraordinary, he does it through very ordinary people. And we're going to learn that right at the start of this journey as we open up to the book of Exodus. Uh, Exodus tells the story of how God emancipates liberates and frees one to two million Jewish slaves from their bondage in Egypt. He parts the Red Sea, he does miracles, he sends plagues, but what you might not have noticed is at the very start of the story, God pushes the first domino and it's through absolutely ordinary people. So, let me prove that to you as I open this amazing book, Exodus, and we're going to start with chapter 1, verse 1. It says, these are the names of the sons of Israel who went to Egypt with Jacob, each with his family. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. The descendants of Jacob numbered 70 in all, and Joseph was already in Egypt. Now, Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. So on page uh, 10 or so of this book, God made an epic promise to a man named Abraham. Heard his name before? And the promise was that God would make Abraham's descendants like the, like the stars of the sky, like the, like the sand on the seashore, like, like an episode of the Duggars. All right, they're going to have a... <laughs> A boatload of kids, and this is actually the place where it happens. 
Abraham has a son named Isaac, Isaac has a son named Jacob, and then Jacob has these 12 sons who are all listed here by name. And, and they're a family of about 70, so big, but not like the stars until this. Until generation after generation, pregnancy after pregnancy, baby shower after baby shower, this people, what we call the Jewish people, or the descendants, the children of Israel, grow, I think the Bible says, to 600,000 men plus women and plus children. Millions of people, God keeping his promise to one man. Listen to verse 8. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous and if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us and leave the country. See, Pharaoh worshipped a god called power, comfort, success, and control. And when this growing group of Israelite people threatened that, he freaked out. He wasn't so worried about the little Jewish girls, but ladies, don't be offended. Just wait to see what happens in the story. It, it was the boys that worried him. When he saw baby boy after baby boy, he envisioned what if they all grew up, hundreds of thousands of men, betrayed him, joined his enemies, and ripped away his kingdom. Pharaoh couldn't have it. And so he enacted what is perhaps the first holocaust. Here were his two extraordinarily wicked ideas. Verse 11. So the Egyptians put slave masters over the Israelites to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and work them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. Pharaoh literally worked these human beings to death. They were his slaves and he put a whip to their back until they fell over in the Egyptian sand, dead. And that was good in his mind. Build my cities, you die, my kingdom, less of yours. It was his diabolical win-win plan. And then it got worse. Verse 15, the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shifra and Pua, when you're helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it's a girl, let her live. I mean, no, this isn't an ancient story, but this isn't just a story that this actually happened in human history. Can you imagine being there? Can you imagine the moment after making love, wondering if she was pregnant and what the chromosomes of that baby would be? Can you imagine trying to be excited about a baby but in the days before ultrasound, not knowing if that baby's life would be threatened from the second it came out of your womb? Can you imagine trying to encourage your own daughter or sister? Or being there during that final push when the gender was revealed 
And the mother saw the look on the midwife's face. Can you imagine trying to raise a baby boy without your neighbor or your boss or the Egyptian next door knowing what it was? And the book of Exodus tells the story that, that God would break Pharaoh's hard heart. He would send miracles and plagues and a man named Moses, he would divide the sea to save his people from that misery. But, but do you know how it all started? With absolutely ordinary people. Let me prove it to you. Verse 17, the midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. So God was kind to the midwives and the people increased and became even more numerous. These two ordinary women, and what did they do? Something extraordinary. They stood up to the most powerful man on earth, the guy who thought he was a god, and they saved these little boys' lives. Was Moses born during that time? If it wouldn't have been for their courage, their justice, their passion for righteousness, that the man who saved Israel wouldn't have been saved himself. Uh, but God wasn't done. Uh, jump to chapter 2. Now, a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister, the baby's sister, asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. God used ordinary people to save this extraordinary man who would carry out his extraordinary work. But friends, you shouldn't be shocked. Because ordinary is how God ordinarily works. Actually, a great proof is right here in this book. Did you know that in the mid-1800s, most Bible scholars thought that the Greek New Testament, the original language of the New Testament, was extraordinary? Apparently, I heard there are about 5,000 different Greek words that make up the New Testament. And in the mid-1800s, scholars estimated that about 500 of those words were completely unique to this book. In other words, in ancient history, in legal documents, in personal letters, you wouldn't find any of these words. They were just like fancy religious 
Bible words, what 10% of the New Testament. That's what they used to think. But then, in the late 1800s, two archaeologists were digging in an ancient trash heap in a place called Oxyrhynchus. In that stack of ancient papyrus, they noticed one of those special words from the New Testament. And then another. And then a third and a fourth and a fifth and a sixth and a hundredth and a two hundredth until almost all 500 of these unique Bible words they found out weren't unique at all. And the way people started to view this book changed. That although it does extraordinary things in the human heart, it, it was never written in extraordinary language, but in the language of people. And I, I got to tell you, I love that fact. That God from the days of Moses up until our day today, he insists on using people in situations like this and, and like us. All right, Here's, write these down. Uh, number one, God uses the ordinary to change your life. Uh, I have a big hunch that a whole bunch of you would like to make some changes in your life. Right? And some of those might be pretty big, extraordinary changes. Uh, some of you might want to get sober for the first time in a long time or stay sober. Some of you are maybe stuck in a relationship that doesn't have affection and forgiveness and commitments and humility and you, you just want things to be different tomorrow than they were yesterday. But do you know how God makes changes like that? Through the most ordinary stuff. If you've ever been part of a recovery program, you know they have this beautiful, powerful saying, one day at a time. It's not a decade of sobriety. It's just one ordinary day. Say yes to this and no to that. I've been the pastor here at the core for almost six years now. Next week is my six-year anniversary, which means I've preached between two and three hundred sermons at this church. And as I look out at some of you, some of you have had your lives changed in the last six years. Question, do you remember all 200 sermons? 100 sermons? 10? <laughs> Today's? I forgot half of it already. Oh my goodness. And that's okay, right? Because it's not some epic church service that changes your life. It, it's just spiritually feeding your soul Sunday after Sunday, day after day, and one day you wake up and you're not the person you were five years ago. Some of the strongest athletes you've ever seen, ask them about the workout that changed them. They'll look at you funny. Because through ordinary habits like prayer, dating each other, coming to church, God turns that dimmer switch until one day what once was darkness becomes light. That's point number one. Here's point number two. God also uses the ordinary to change their lives. I think it's safe to say that all of us here and, and all of you watching at home, we all want the next generation to be better than ours. Is that true? Right. We want the next generation to love God more than we do. We want them to love each other better than we did. We would love to see God raise up the next Moses, the next Martin Luther, the next Martin Luther King Jr. But do you know who are going to raise amazing men and women like that 
ordinary people. <laughs> people who will one day look back and say, I have no idea how that happened with my kid. I was at this um, virtual conference a couple weeks ago and one of the speakers was talking about uh, her studies of young men and women who had grown up to do great things. She said one of the key factors outside of the home environment itself that like led a kid in this direction instead of that direction was one committed adult. And these kids said, you know, it wasn't every relative that I had. I had that one uncle, that one aunt, that one grandparent who always called and always checked in and they didn't get too busy. It, it doesn't take a thousand extraordinary people to change the next generation. It takes, it takes one. You don't have to call every day. Just stay connected. One conversation, a few texts, what's that going to do, Pastor? That. That. How about my last point is by far the most important. So if I lost you, come on back and don't miss this. Number three, God used the ordinary to change your eternal life. We think of Jesus being special. Do you know there were a bunch of Jesuses? One of the apostles was nicknamed Jesus. Barabbas, the guy who was released at Jesus' trial, his first name was Jesus. One of the future apostles in the book of Acts was named Jesus. There's Jesus Justice. Why did they have to call him Jesus of Nazareth? because <laughs> there were a whole bunch of Jesuses. But this ordinary family from this ordinary place and this kid with this ordinary name grew up to do what? Wow, the extraordinary. And where did Jesus die? On a cross. We Christians sometimes make the mistake, we call it the cross, like there was only one. <laughs> there were three crosses on that one hill on the Friday that Jesus died. The Romans put up hundreds, thousands, Tens of thousands, but God used an ordinary death to do the most extraordinary thing. So at the end of every day, you could fall asleep knowing I am forgiven and I am loved and I messed up a whole bunch of stuff, but his mercy is more. As he was dying on the cross, he, he couldn't use his fingers to write in blood, so he used his words and he spoke one Greek word to tell us die. Ever heard it? If you would dig in that ancient trash heap, you would find on the bottom of a receipt with all of these charges, all the things that you owe, one word, to telestai, and it meant paid in full. All the debt's gone, erased, and Jesus spoke it, and people understood it. Brothers and sisters, we have an extraordinary God. And he offers extraordinary blessings and he still has great plans to do extraordinary things through me, through you, and through us. But please, please, please do not forget this one thing. In the days of Moses and the days of Jesus and our day today, ordinary is how God ordinarily works. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, um, I'm thinking of that passage where you say that you choose the lowly and the despised and the people who aren't all that special to be part of your kingdom and your family. You love to choose those of us who've, who've bottomed out, who've walked away, sheep who've strayed, those of us who have been so lost in our sin so that we just get that it wasn't us, it, it was all you. 
And that's why we love you. It's why we worship you. It's why we sacrifice for you. It's why we obey you. Thank you, God, for the the good news of your love. And I pray, if, if I could be so bold, that you would do extraordinary things through us this week. Lord, there are people who who just don't have a connection to a spiritual family, but it could be an ordinary conversation that turns into something more. There are children who are one step away from going down a bad path and running with a bad crowd, but you could use one person to mentor one kid to make the whole ending of the story different. And so we pray, God, that you would continue your long history of doing extraordinary things just like that. Today, Heavenly Father, we also pray and we continue to pray for truth and justice, for order and love in our country. It feels like the stories keep coming, Heavenly Father, and it's almost hard to believe. People are so broken and we need Jesus for justice and truth to reign for people to be humble enough to love each other no matter what our differences and backgrounds. And so I pray, God, this problem seems so much bigger than me and us. But if it's true, then we can have a part. That ordinary people with extraordinary conviction can make incredible changes in a community. So use us, God. In conversations, face-to-face, and online, use us. May it never happen again. And may we be part of the solution to this incredible problem. God, we call upon you today like the people of Israel, knowing that without your help, we we can't fix it and we can't change it. But with you, all things are possible. Miracles are possible. And so we pray to you with boldness and confidence. Amen. Are you like Moses and think that God can't use you? That you're too ordinary? But that's why our God is so amazing. Even if you're quite ordinary, God's extraordinary is always at work. He's doing supernatural things throughout our natural days. Just like what Pastor Mike shared in today's message, you have extraordinary inside of you that comes straight from God. And he wants you to put those gifts to use in your everyday life. But how are we supposed to do that? We can help you discover your spiritual gifts with our newest book, Gifted for More, by Dr. Bruce Becker from our Time of Grace team. This engaging study shows you how to discover your own giftedness and put those abilities into action for God's glory. Because in Christ, you've been uniquely equipped with spiritual gifts to help you build up the church and fulfill God's purposes. Gifted for More is our way of thanking you for your generous support. And right now when you give, we'll also send you the book Chosen for More by Time of Grace author and podcaster Amber Albee Swenson to encourage you in the special role you have to play in God's story. Request your two resources today when you give by calling 800-661-3311, visit timeofgrace.org, write us at P.O. Box 301, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 53201, or text TIME to 313131 to give today. I want to tell you about a brand new podcast from my friend C.L. Whiteside. Uh, Actually, let me let C.L. tell you why listening to his podcast is absolutely worth your time. This is C.L. Whiteside, and you are listening to The Non-Microwave Truth. Why the title The Non-Microwave Truth? 
And when you just think about a microwave, what's the purpose of it? To speed things up, to be easy, to be convenient. But the truth, is that something that should always be sped up? Join me as we search for the non-microwave truths. Search the non-microwave truth on Spotify or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.